welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. All right, cool. We're back. We are back. With another Q&A. Got uh, a lot of questions. Uh, Starting December now. Man, this year has gone by fast. Thank God. I can't wait for this year. That's true. Over. I yeah. cannot wait for 2021. I mean, realistically, we're going to hit January 1 and nothing's going to change. Yeah. We're still going to be. <laughs> Dude, I did. I did. Huge 2020. I know it sucks and stuff, but I yeah. personally, it was probably the biggest year of my life. Yeah. I mean, I've, I don't know. I've I was, had some huge milestones, but yeah. damn, 2020 has changed. I was my talking life. to somebody, uh, Jordan Syatt, I think it was during the podcast that we mm-hmm. just did. And. He was, we were talking about like kind of feeling guilty that it went well mm-hmm. at first, you know, and then realizing that you don't have to feel guilty. I mean, if, if things were like, we didn't start this business because the world was going to go into a pandemic and everybody needed to figure out how to re- operate online. Yeah. We started it because we thought that was the future and then we did. And then this happened, you know, um, it's like people who are mad at Jeff Bezos. Like, fuck Jeff Bezos. I'm not ordering from Amazon. Yeah. Which part of me is like, okay, like, I get it. Order local. I'm or doing as much local stuff as I can not to not support Jeff, but to yeah. support those local companies. For sure, yeah. But there's certain stuff where it's just like, man, I just. I want it tomorrow. Yeah. Or, like, <laughs> I got to ship uh, Max gifts for Christmas to yeah. Texas. Yeah. So, you know, my nephew. So, like, to me, I'm like, well, Amazon will wrap it for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just order it. They wrap it and send it right there. Like, why would I deal with it? But, and it's or just pay like. more. Or pay more. God. And Jeff is, I mean, he had a great idea. Yeah. Way before this happened. He is way capitalizing. Yeah. But. Uh, Holy moly. I mean, there's there's a conspiracy saying that, like, they conducted this. Jeez. The thing that, like, makes me kind of look twice is uh, Bill Gates. Yeah. Because he came out with that TED Talk. Yeah. Talking about how there could be a worldwide pandemic from a virus and we're not prepared for it. And then just months later. It was months. Oh, literally. It was like, or maybe it was a year yeah, or something. I don't know. But not that long ago. Yeah. And he's one of the people that's capitalizing on it. Wow. Because Microsoft's all online. They have uh, their Microsoft meetings is like one of the, it's like Zoom. It's yeah. one of the bigger yeah. meeting portals for businesses to use. And True. People are playing, probably playing more <laughs> Xbox than ever right now, yeah. too. <laughs> Unbelievable. Xbox and they just Live. came, and they just came out with a new Xbox last month. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And PS5. Five. Yeah. Did they do that at the same time on purpose. You think probably it's like the fifty cent Kanye or fifty cent? Uh, yeah, it was fifty cent Kanye. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. I forgot about that. I forgot yeah. they did that. Yeah, those are those are polar opposites too. But like you still like them both. That's, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good analogy. Um, no, I I, uh, I had a pretty good year too. I think for me it was kind of like ebb and flows. Like there was so many positives in it, and there was just there was also a lot of stress and anxiety inside yeah. of it, which I think a lot of people can agree with. You know, but most definitely. Um, and like now that the holidays are here, it does, it sucks. You know, it's yeah. like, it's, we had, uh, my grandma wanted us to come for, uh, th- Thanksgiving so bad. And we we're just like, we can't do it. 
yeah. not, you're 85, you yeah. know, we're not going to do it to you. Um, so now we're trying to figure out like, can we do Christmas? Cause that's like her thing. Yeah. You know, we do a crab feast every year Yeah, uh, where we just, they buy pounds and pounds of crab, you know, and then the whole long table. And my dad's like, Oh, we're going to do it at my house. That way grandma doesn't have to wear anything else. Like, All right. So do you want me to help like get the crab? We're not doing crab. I was like, what do you mean? He was like, my house isn't smelling like crab. <laughs> I was like, Dad, that's like a, a hundred year tradition. <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah. That's actually not allowed. Yeah. I, was, I literally was like arguing with him. He's like laughing at me. He's like, are you serious? I'm like, I'm dead fucking serious. Yeah. We can't do this. He was like, you don't even like crab. I was like, I know I don't, but. <laughs> it's a tradition. It's a tradition. Yeah. You yeah. don't like crab? I mean, it's all right. Like I'll have a couple bites of it, you know, dip it in some butter. Yeah. And then it's just so rich and such okay. a, that I just, I'm over it in a second. I usually do like a, have you ever had a crab Louis? Oh. It's kind of like a cob salad, okay. but it's with crab. Okay. So crab, hard-boiled egg, uh, Thousand Island Ranch dressing, olives, stuff like that. I usually wow. do that because yeah. then I can handle the crab. Yeah. But Those are all ingredients that I hate. But <laughs> I hate. You hate a lot of things. I do like food-wise. King crab legs, like I will destroy in one meal. I won't yeah. be, I won't want it the next week. Yeah. But if I'm going to eat it one meal, I'm going on. Oh yeah. I love them. Everybody just, in my family loves it, dude. Yeah. We just sit there and just pick crab for hours, drinking wine. Yeah. Christmas Eve. Sounds it's awesome. It's so fun. Yeah. Um, speaking of meals and stuff, this is actually a good chance to give our, one of our sponsors a plug. How are you liking dude, Eat I to love Evolve? It. I love it. You're demolishing They're, those meals, bro. <laughs> those taco bowls. Um, the Cajun, uh, chicken with shrimp. Yeah. Um, Man, dude. Pot roast. Pot roast with maple uh, syrup and carrots. No, that's the pork. Oh. Well. That's the pork. That one's fire. Yeah. The shredded pork good. with shredded maple pork, syrup. Yeah. Smoked maple or something yeah. like that. The pot roast it has carrots too, I think. But I don't think it's maple. Yeah. No, that it's not. That one's good. Yep. Um, it fried sounds, ri- chicken fried rice. It's actually called for rice, but it is it is good. I got, uh, have you seen the paleo balls? Nope. Uh, dude, they're like snacks. I got Shannon and Blakely them. Yeah. And they're like, it's basically... And granted, like, they're high fat, so people be aware, like, you're going to consume a lot of fat of these because they're made out of, like, nut butter. Yeah. So it's, like, oats and nut butter and, like, chocolate chips and or it's organic cacao, I think. Yeah. But they're in balls. There's, like, banana bread flavor, really good. Mm-hmm. Mint chocolate, peanut butter, like, super good. And they're just, like, snacks. Yeah. So those are dope. I actually have eaten more of the <laughs> the most basic one of all, the chicken and cauliflower mash. because. Mash. It's a garlic cauliflower mash. So it's mashed potatoes, but it's made out of garlic. Oh, okay. Cauliflower. Yeah. Which it's is like eat- chicken fried rice, but the rice yeah. is cauliflower. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I've been doing that one just because it's high protein. It's it's the low, it's one of the lower fat. If you put the dressing they give with it, it's it's like, I think, 16 grams of fat. But if you don't use the dressing, it's like a couple grams of yeah. fat. Um, so I've been doing that. And they actually, I actually was just talking to... Um, my my guy over there and uh about like what it takes to, i was like what what's the process of implementing new meals mm-hmm. like if i have like recommendations and stuff and so like i was like he was like well we just take the feedback and then we do it and so i was like man it would be cool if you guys had like lower fat options because yeah, i know totally. a lot of people who follow high carb diets that don't have as much fat to spare yep. so there's certain things on that menu that i'm like god that looks so fucking good yep. but i don't want to waste that much fat on it yep. you know so i get something else or i'll like save some fat and I'll have like the pork one is my favorite. That's just so good. Totally. Um, which really isn't that high in fat, but you got a, a lot, 20 grams of fat for the meal, you know? Yep. But he was like, we're coming out with a whole lean, lean meal plan. So Dope. it's basically like a whole menu of, of low fat options nice. that's going to be coming out soon. So I'm pumped about that. Um, but yeah, if, if anybody listening to this needs their meals prep, 
that's one of our sponsors, eat2evolve.us, and the promo code is boom tw- boom20, I think. Dude, or maybe it's boom boom. <laughs> <laughs> it's either boom boom or boom20. So uh it'll be in the show notes. Yeah, it'll be in the show notes. So you can just read it there and go. But um highly recommend their meals. Um I've been pleasantly surprised. They're supplying me and Travis with a lot of meals and Shannon's lunch. Dude, jo- Josephine stopped eating them. Yeah. For that exact reason you just the facts. Yeah. Yeah. She's tracking to a dime. Yeah. And she's like, dude, I can't eat this. I won't have anything for dinner. Yeah. Like and I was like, All right, well, yeah. I'll eat them all. <laughs> it's it, it's one of those things where like a good meal from them is is gonna be in between fifteen to twenty five grams of fat, which is a decent amount for one meal. Yeah. Now yeah. I know I have some clients that their intakes are so high because we're gaining or they we reverse dieted them that they're consuming eighty, ninety, hundred grams of fat a day. Yeah. For them it's like okay. I have to eat that much in a meal just yeah. to get my total calories. But when you're on a, a, a significant diet or you're trying to lose weight, especially if you're if you don't have any autoimmune issues, if you don't have any pre-existing problems that would make me want to avoid a high carb diet, we're probably going to go with a high carb approach. Yeah, it makes more sense for body composition changes, and that limits your fat. So now you have to like really play the whole macro Tetris game totally. where it's like taking fat out of breakfast so I can have this high fat lunch, which that's flexible dieting. Yep. So if you want to do it, if you want to do it, yeah, it's worth it. But, um, I'm kind of the same way where I, I typically choose the low fat options. Yeah. So I'm stoked that they're going to be doing that. Yeah. She eats a lot of like cashews and cheese for her snacks during her 12 hour oh, yeah, shift. That adds up her fat. Yeah. Right there. Cause she has to eat like, yeah. during her shift. So. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I cool could guys. fucking remember those. Have you ever seen Kirkland? cashew salted cashews in the yeah. tub yeah dude my parents i remember when i lived with my parents they used to get those and yeah. i would literally so i'm just gonna have a couple while i watch yeah. tv i'd be like halfway through the thing and i'm yeah. like i just ate 200 grams of fat yeah in cashews at least <laughs> yep. so crazy same with my parents but those are good um another quick shout out is i just want to constantly kind of put this bug in people's ear um you might actually have already seen by the time this airs this airs next week right as we're recording yes. this yep uh, so we should be getting close to launching the t-shirt, the, okay. the charity shirt. So at least showing what it looks like. Uh, I don't, hopefully it'll be in my mailbox when I get home, the tester today. Mm. And then once that is the shirt, the shirt. Yeah. So we just, we want to make sure that we like yep. the way it looks sick. Um, and then we'll be able to update the site, get that out before new year. Hopefully if not first thing new year, yep. but, but it's coming. So be on the lookout guys. Sweet. That's awesome. All right. Uh, let's get to it. Um, we got first question is from Alex Peel. It says, what are your thoughts on weightlifting straps to help grip strength with deadlifts, especially for those with hands the size of a small child and one <laughs> of which was broken in nine places a few years ago? Ouch. Also, she wants to know what top exercises for improving grip strength. Is it a guy or is it a girl? Alex them i don't know they um they uh, scroll down the very bottom there's another really long question that we probably won't cover today did they say he she or anything in there the long one say maybe that'll tell you if they're a guy or girl well alex regardless we're gonna answer your question yeah i apologize that i don't your your face isn't coming to mind but you know what i thought of first when i heard this question you remember that Burger King commercial? The Whopper commercial? Oh. It's so funny. They're playing catch. Daddy, how do you remember this? I remember all kinds of weird shit. <laughs> They're playing catch with the football. I've seen probably a hundred Burger King commercials. This is the best one. Okay. They're playing catch with the, f- the football, right? And uh, the one guy can't catch it. 
and uh, or, or yeah, he can't catch. He's like sitting there. He's not playing because he can't catch the ball because his hands are too small. And the guy goes like, "Hey man, like, do you want a whopper? I got an extra." And he goes, "I do, but." My hands are too small to hold it because the whoppers are big, you know? <laughs> and he's got these – they make his hands so tiny. Yeah. So he's like, i got these little hands. And the guy's like, I'll hold it for you. And he's like feeding the guy a whopper. And then it's like Burger King, Whopper Deluxe or something oh like that. Goodness. So good. But if you just see the guy's like sad face of, i got these tiny hands. <laughs> First thing I thought about this, hey, grab the bar, man. i got these tiny hands. <laughs> oh I can't. And improve my hand size. Yeah, literally. Uh, you could – do this stretcher that Drew had me on the other day. Stretch your fingers out. Um, all right. So what do I think of Versa grips and straps and stuff like that? Use them. I think it's to me, it's one of those things where like, number one, it, are you a competitive power lifter? If the answer is yes, then you can't always use straps because guess what? When you get on the platform and you're competing in powerlifting and you're doing this to actually compete against somebody, you literally can't wear straps. They won't let wow. you. So usually what you do in powerlifting, um, like the law of specificity inside of strength training is basically as you get closer to the meet, you have to get more specific to what you're doing. So far away, you can do regular bench presses, but right before the meet, you have to do pause rep benches because in competition, you have to pause at the bottom. So you have to train that, right? If you're just doing regular touch and go bench press the whole time leading up, and then you get on competition floor and your, your max of what you can drop and punch up is in your mind, and you try to slow, pause, and go up, you're fucked. Yeah. You're not going to get it, you know? So same thing with straps. If you use straps that whole time, and then you go to compete, and you're like, fuck, I don't have my straps. You're screwed. Yeah. So far away, you can use straps in overload periods, but you still have to sprinkle in that non-strap use. Now, if this person asking the question is not a power lifter, fucking wear them. Yep. You have no, nobody's limiting you. And to me, it's like, what I rather, and this is when I do, I like Versa, I think Versa Grips, especially for women, are the best ones because they have, like, metal. Have you ever seen them? No. They're, like, you probably would recognize them because a bunch of people at Vigor used to wear them. But okay. they're basically, it's around your wrist. For and sure. it basically comes, it's like a pad that comes in front of your hands. Yeah. But it's got, like, metal, so you can kind of, like, wrap it around something. Yeah. Almost like a tripod kink, like the yeah. legs, you know, when they're, like, like, claw. Exactly. So you can kind of grip it on I've a bar it. and be able to do it, right? So Versa grips are great. Um, straps are okay. With Olympic bars, they spin, and they're supposed to, because if I do a clean, I want the bar to be able to spin with the weight, just being able to kind of just rotate on that, like an axis. Exactly. Um, so the problem with that is, like, as it's spinning with the straps, it just fucks it up. I, mm. I can't stand using straps. But my whole thing is this. If, if you can lift 200 pounds uh, on a deadlift, but you could lift to 25 pounds if you had some straps or verse grips because your grip was a limiting factor, then 100% do it because that's 25 extra pounds that's going to build your legs. And why are you doing the deadlifts? So you can have really strong hands? No, no. You're doing it so you can have a strong deadlift yep. and big legs, right? Or strong legs if you don't want big legs. But um, yeah, so I'm, I'm all about them. I think they're great unless you're, you're competing. Um, and then how to improve grip strength. I think a lot of people, they overthink this and they start doing like, yeah, I remember... Uh, doing and it, and it helps, it works, but it's just it's brutal. Like getting a bucket of sand and grabbing the sand, mm. dude, because that resistance of trying to squeeze the sand and a bucket full of sand, and yeah. you're just doing it like constantly works your hands so much. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, that could work your grip. You know, you can do wrist curls, that'll help. But the problem with that is, is if you fatigue your forearms and your hands, and then you go to front squat or bench press or do anything the next day, 
you're limiting your performance because you smashed your grip the day before. So my advice is always, if you struggle with grip, then start doing things that require grip to perform. So stop using the cable, start using dumbbells, right? Start using more barbells, start using kettlebells, grab some fat grips, those rubber things you slap on the handles to make the grip fatter. Um, do farmer's walks, do things that are going to contribute to your, your main goal, but it kind of forces you to build grip strength along the way. Gotcha. Yeah. I, uh, I was going to say something about that. I just lost my train of thought. Good. Nice. Yep. Nice. (laughs) Damn. In and out. Yeah. Anyway. Um, all right, let's just go to the next one. It'll come back up and you'll randomly interrupt me with it, yeah, which is fine. I did that the other day on an interview. I was like, I completely forgot what I was going to say, but and he started talking. And I'm like, oh, and uh, <laughs> this is what it was. All right, so the next question goes from Johanna Hernandez. says, uh, do you think doing CrossFit can help you achieve your body composition goals? Overall, I do not think so because it's too high intensity mixed with cardio and not really muscle building focused like bodybuilding. Of course, it comes down to nutrition as well, especially when you see more elite athletes, but they could be taking other things. So what are your thoughts? It's a good question. Um, I definitely don't think you should look at elite athletes like, uh, so do you know who Matt Frazier is? Uh, I've heard the name. He's he's the champion of CrossFit. CrossFit Oh, okay. Um, but he's won like four or five years in a row. He's more, he's won more CrossFit games than anybody else has ever won. Wow! So he's a he's a fucking beast. He's the fittest guy in the in the world. Essentially, is what they they crown him as. But the problem with looking at people of his stature, so any of the fifty to one hundred athletes that get entered at the very bottom tier of the CrossFit games, mm-hmm. they look like freaks. But it's unrealistic to assume that CrossFit was the direct reason they got there because you know like I've, I've I'm super fascinated by Matt Frazier because he's a freak of nature and he's so disciplined like I just love watching what he does and listening to his people interview him and I was watching a, a documentary on him and this dude trains at least twice a day if not three times mm. so it's like basically he sleeps nine hours wakes up breakfast is already ready for him with coffee on the pot his, his wife like does all of his cooking wakes up eats goes right uh, goes into stretching and mobility for an hour then goes to the gym from 10 a.m to 1 p.m so that right there's three hours in the gym then he goes home uh does more stretching and mobility eats recovers for an hour or so and then goes back to the gym damn does a second session then he goes home does like a sauna chill and either a go to bed sleep nine hours again or do a, a third workout like on skill technique so if we look at that, it's like, is CrossFit making him jacked or is, is uh, two things, G-flux and volume. So yes, he's doing CrossFit, which normal CrossFit is high intensity, not as much volume, and it's not isolating body parts, but he's training so much that he can't not train with high volume. Yeah, He's doing a ton of fucking work, so he's going to get jacked. And add to that, his normal intake is, I want to say it's like, four or five thousand calories and and when he's competing for the games it's like six to seven thousand like he's eating like a horse yeah so g flux this idea of of eat more do more is exactly what he's the perfect example of his metabolism is fucking roaring he's building muscle he's fueling his body to do so nobody i've ever worked with has the time to train three times a day (laughs) most don't have time to train twice a day yeah and 
none of them have been able to eat 5,000 calories <laughs> just in the sense of being able to do it, maybe on a cheat day, yeah. but that's it. So not the right kind of calories, not the right kind of calories. Yeah. Um, and to an extent you have to kind of eat junk cause it's so hard to, I mean, when I was approaching like 3000, not even, but close to 3000 eating just clean food, it was so hard. Yeah. Like there was one point, not this recent book, but in the past when I did one, and it was about 3000 calories. I literally had halo top ice cream every night. <laughs> Like it was, it was just like a healthier version of ice cream, but it was an easy way to get a, extra calories. Totally. Um, but point being is, is elite level CrossFitters aren't a good example of what we could look at because their life's unrealistic. Like he, he is literally, his life revolves around being a professional athlete. Every single thing he does and the people around him cater to him being the best in the world, which is fucking awesome. Super cool, but it's unrealistic for anybody else, you know? So... Don't look at those. Now, can CrossFit be good for body composition change? Yes, it can be because if you go from doing nothing or soul cycle and circuit training or anything to lifting weights, you will improve your body composition, right? So if somebody's doing, let's say, soul cycle or they're doing group fitness at their work or whatever it may be, and then they move into CrossFit, now all of a sudden they're doing front squats, they're doing back squats, they're doing deadlifts, they're doing rope climbs, they're doing pulls, and they're doing push-ups. They're doing all these different movements that are stimulating the muscles way more than Soul Cycle because Soul Cycle just stimulates your quads and hip flexors yeah. over and over and over again, right? And it encourages horrible posture. So you're going to build muscle. Now, I think that the, the thing that we see most is people shift into CrossFit <clears throat> It's a different stimulus and it's going from not really doing anything intelligently to doing something somewhat intelligently. And they do see really good progress within the first couple of years, right? I've, I've worked with so many people that are like, man, when I first got into CrossFit, I had this crazy transformation and then it kind of stopped and I started gaining a little weight and I wasn't building muscle, I wasn't PRing. And what typically happens is they go through that, that newbie phase of anything works and now they're doing too much. So they're stressed out, they're not eating enough and their life doesn't support that high of intensity. And now their, their adrenals are kind of getting tired and things are just tapping out, right? Cortisol starts going up, weight accumulation starts going up. Um, and that's where we go. Okay. Like let's pull you out of CrossFit. Let's feed you more food and give you some functional bodybuilding. Totally. Um, so at the end of the day, can it work? Yes, it can because anything can work if, if, if you're not doing anything beforehand, but I, I definitely don't think CrossFit is the best route for body composition changes. You know, I think the best route is, is definitely going to be bodybuilding of some sort. Um, that being said, I think that there's, there's a place for them to be mixed. And yeah. I think if you're able to compete, like I even know the, the claw, right? Like yeah. that guy here locally. Yeah. He, he competes at a pretty high level. The guy that owns it, one of the guys that owns it. And, uh, and he trains multiple times a day. So, like, there are people that it's like, can CrossFit change your body composition? Absolutely. He owns a CrossFit gym. He comes in the morning, trains, and then trains at night. I designed his diet for him, so he, we know he's eating the right foods. You know, it's – it's if you can do that, then CrossFit can work. But for I sure. think – and or if, if you're fueling your body properly. I just – It's even better when you got a combination of both. Yeah, and it, I just go back and forth because I think it's one of those things where it's like – I don't want to say it can't work because I'm of the opinion of you should do anything that you enjoy as long as you're moving. I think the the issue is more around the diet. People usually do CrossFit and go into a deficit and that can only work for so long. At a certain point, you're going to get burnt out and yeah. that's with diets, period. But CrossFit's much more stressful than bodybuilding in sure. most cases. Yep. So I would 
I would venture on the side of not or doing a little bit of combination of both. There's a lot of great companies that are in the CrossFit space that do a combination of both and it's much more productive like yep. OPEX or Training Think Tank and stuff like that. Those guys, they understand strength and conditioning. They understand the needs of a CrossFit athlete, but they also understand energy systems, mm-hmm. fatigue, recovery, all these things that we're talking about that make CrossFit dangerous if you're not careful. Yeah. You know? and they also implement them. Exactly, and they kind of combine them. So um, it can work, but it's it's probably not the, the go-to route for most people trying to change their body comp. For sure. All right, cool. Um, that's good. Uh, let's go to the next one from Gavin DeSaza. Gavin DeSaza. Where does a reverse diet fall into when it comes to the seasons of nutrition periodization? You know, I probably should just start putting their last name letter. Gavin yeah. D. Yeah. <laughs> that would make your job a lot easier. Or I'll just do it next time. Yeah. Um, now on, <laughs> just start saying that. Unless it's an Instagram name, then you're screwed. But, um, okay, so where does a reverse diet fall into the categorization of periodization? Yeah, where uh, where does a reverse diet fall into when it comes to the seasons of, uh, of periodization? Yep. I think it depends if, it, it, like, technically, reverse dieting, uh, it's it's one of two things. It's it's not necessarily periodized because you're in uh, hormonally from a biofeedback standpoint, you're in a, you're in a hole, you're in a bad place. And I'm simply using a reverse diet to get you out of that deficit. In that sense, in that regard, there is no periodization. It's you're right here with this low intake. I want you up here. Here's our path, right? Technically, I guess that's periodization because it's a plan. This is our plan to get there. But a lot of the times, periodization in, in seasons refers to sports. And if we're talking of, of an athlete who goes through seasons, there is no reverse dieting in that. It's, it's off-season, in-season, right? Post-season. So, so basically, off-season is a combination of pre- and post-season. Sure. But like, what are you doing before the season starts? What are you doing during the season? What are you doing after the season? Gotcha. Um, a reverse diet would be a transitional phase from a lower intake to a high intake. So if we're talking about a bodybuilding athlete... From a lower intake to a high or a lower to a higher? Higher. Okay. Um, from a bodybuilding athlete's perspective, their season would be getting on stage. There's a pre-season and off-season, right? And... Their reverse diet is the transition from in-season to off-season. Yep. Because we know for a bodybuilding competitor, in-season means you're in a deficit because you're at your lowest point from a caloric standpoint because you're trying to get as lean as possible for stage. But if you're a CrossFit competitor, if you're a football athlete, if you're a basketball athlete, anything, anything else that's performance-driven, in-season, you should actually be fueling yourself just as much, if not more, than you were preseason, right? So Definitely. Really what's happening here is is preseason usually is is transitioning to a more carb heavy diet, increasing carbs as activity increases. In season you maintain the carb level. You probably don't want to eat too much because you don't want to get heavy, but you don't want to eat nothing because you gotta perform. And you wanna stay at about so sometimes preseason is a higher intake than in season simply because Sometimes preseason, you're ramping up training, and then you, like, think about a football player. You're going to practice. You're doing weights. You're running drills. You're doing a lot. In season, they're not doing as much. They're still training and practicing, but their main thing is playing games, which means they have to recover more. So you don't really need – usually it's, like, really high intake for those high demands, and if if it lowers a little bit during the in-season, you can lower the intake a little bit, but you're still relatively high-carb. Postseason, a lot of times it's lowering carbs, increasing fats, because that's going to help – uh, recover the hormonal and nervous system a little bit. And 
typically people after the season's done, they take a break. Yeah. So a lot of people will finish their season and they're like, I'm going to take a recovery phase. Yeah. A month at least yeah. of no training, no practice, just generally lifting weights or whatever they do because they like doing it. Some people don't do anything at all. Um, even Matt Frazier, he, he went like after the cross the games, I think he said he went on a road trip and they, he was like, I just don't, I'm not training. I'm not doing anything for a month at all. He's like, it just gives my body a break. It mentally gets me excited to train again. Yeah. Whereas by the end of the CrossFit Games prep, I'm like so dead from training. I don't want to train anymore. That's a good amount of time too. Yeah. And it, and it makes sense like from a psychological perspective too. Yeah. But in that scenario, there's no reverse because even when you go into off season, you're not really dropping calories. You're just dropping carbs, raising fats. Mm. You're staying at maintenance. So you don't really have a reverse, you know, you, you really just have a maintenance or a surplus <laughs> and you're cycling them. One or the other. You know, and you're you're shifting your carbs and fats around depending on the time of year and the season and demands of your body. But if we look at periodization, um, I mean, you can look at it in a graph where it would be like you're in a deficit and we're going to spend X months reversing. Then we're going to spend X months maintaining. Um, during that maintenance phase, we either stay there or go into a surplus. It depends on their goal. So maybe they want to build muscle. we got to eat more than maintenance. Maybe they just want to maintain their physique and performance. Then we're going to eat at maintenance. And once your body's health markers are in a good place, then you drop right back into a deficit, right? Gotcha. And then you repeat. So it's, it's more like deficit, reverse, maintenance, potentially lean gaining surplus phase, back to the deficit, and then rinse and repeat. Yeah. But we can't categorize that as seasons. You know, that's just like the cycle of fat loss. Yeah. Right. So um, where reverse dieting falls into that is for the average person, the reverse dieting is the transition period from deficit to maintenance. To maintenance. That's the easiest way I can answer that. Gotcha. 10 minutes later. Yep. <laughs> hey, guys, I hope you're enjoying this podcast, but I wanted to pop in real quick and shout out my sponsor, Legion Athletics. Legion Athletics is the number one brand of all natural sports supplements in the world. They are naturally sweetened and flavored supplements that are scientifically backed with good ingredients and proper doses, which is pretty rare in the supplement space, to be honest with you. And you get 100% money back guarantee and free shipping. So if you hate the product, which probably won't happen, you can get all your money back. Right now, you can head over to buylegion.com slash boom boom and save 20% off your first order and start getting loyalty points so you can get free supplements in the future. Legion is literally a company that I've been using for years, not only for myself, but also with my family and with all of my clients. They have some great products for sports performance and health, and I really can't say enough about who they are as a brand, their transparency, because they are one of the only supplement companies that actually says nutrition and training is more important than supplements. So they are very honest, they are very science-driven and evidence-based, and they are the real deal when it comes to the top quality supplements that you can get on the market. So once again, head over to buylegion.com slash boom boom and save today. Now, without any further ado, let's get back to the episode. Uh, next one comes from Ada G. There we go. <laughs> if my goal is just, uh, if my goal is just fat loss, can I just count calories and protein? How important is the fat and carbs ratio? It's a good question. Um, I am a fan of, of all the macros being implemented into somebody's diet, but if we look at research, so I have an interesting take on this. If we look at research, 100% what she said you can do. If you just want to lose weight, lose body fat, if you get in a calorie deficit and you eat your protein, you're good. I don't care what you do with fats and carbs. Um, if we kind of get into the nitty gritty and we look at 
well, what's going to translate to more muscle? Carbs or fat? It's going to be carbs. What's going to translate to better performance? Carbs versus fat? Carbs. What translates into more energy expenditure? High performance or low performance? High performance, which means carbs would be good, right? Um, What potentially has more of a muscle building anabolic effect? Carbs, because carbs spike insulin, which drops cortisol, but it also affects um, some other anabolic hormones uh, to help you grow. So we have all these things happening when we consume carbs more that lean us to a more lean and muscular physique. But in these studies, what we see is if a calorie deficit is, is there and we have protein equated for, there's no difference. So I don't know for a fact who's in these studies, but what I would do is go, let me look at the individuals in the study. Are those individuals strength training five days a week, already pretty lean, have a good amount of muscle mass, or are they sedentary individuals who aren't training and are just general people that need to lose 30, 40 pounds? Yeah. If you're a general person who has never trained and you just started training, or you don't even plan on training and you have 30, 40 pounds to lose, 100% just track calories and protein. Do not worry about carbs and fat. Adjust those based on whatever the fuck you feel like eating. Yeah. But if you're an athlete, if you're somebody who cares about their performance in the gym, if you spend time building muscle and trying to build muscle and you want a lean physique, not just a skinnier physique, then I think you should track all the calories, or all the macros within the calories because number one, it's going to lead to better performance and potentially more muscle growth. Number two, carbs are typically less likely to store as fat. Granted, if you get into a surplus, it doesn't matter what it is, whatever you're consuming in the surplus, it can potentially get stored as fat. But if we're at maintenance or if we're in a small surplus, like just going for lean gains, it's much less likely that carbs are going to be stored as body fat compared to an excess amount of fat. So I'm a bigger fan of, of hitting your minimum threshold of fat and then just increasing carbs as high as you can within your intake. Gotcha. Um, and also, it depends on, on adherence and what you crave and pr- yeah. prefer. You know, there's, there's certain people that they just feel better on low-carb diets. They feel better when they consume a lot of fats. They don't have much carbs because uh, whether it's a matter of their blood sugar levels, genetics, we don't know. But there's some people who will have carbs and they get that like parasympathetic dump really bad where they just feel lethargic For afterwards. Sure. Other people feel charged. Like when I eat carbs, I feel energetic. I feel good. So I feel much better on a higher carb diet just naturally. I can't explain why. Does, but it, does it matter what time of the day it is? Nope. I always feel better with carbs. I, can, I, I just function better on a lower fat, higher carb diet. Um, even when my calories are getting really low, mm-hmm. I still function with more of the, the deficit coming from fat. Gotcha. Um, but some people are the complete opposite. If they go below the normal amount of fat, they, they feel it. Their hormones feel it. Their hunger feels it. They start craving nuts and avocado and oils and butters and stuff like that. Mm. Um, whereas other people, you cut out carbs, they start craving bread and rice and potatoes and stuff like that, right? And, and you should listen to those cravings and that can kind of dictate. So a lot of times what I used to do with clients when I bring them on is just track calories and protein and I don't want you to worry about carbs and fats. Meanwhile, I'm watching to see what they tend to favor, so if they naturally just lean more towards a higher carb approach because they crave carbs, they feel better with carbs, they're naturally drawn towards carbs, then I'm probably going to lean on a higher carb approach. But if they're constantly seeking out fats and they have a lower carb approach and they feel better like that, then I'll use that. Like use whatever they feel best doing. For sure. Um, but yeah, so the answer is yes. In a simple way, you can just do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the more advanced you get and the more specific your result is, the more you should Track consider tracking them all. Yeah. All- macros cool yeah uh i think that's great let's uh we got all right this one comes from christia 
Rocco. How come it's it's so hard to lose the last five pounds of your target weight? My pre-pregnancy weight was 128, and the closer I get to this target, the slower and harder it is to lose. Thankfully, I have Coach Lisa to help me stay motivated while cutting, but I wonder what's the uh, scientific basis for this challenge. Shout out to Coach Lisa. Yeah. Um, it's hard to say. Uh, you know, there, there, there probably is some research showing exactly from like a – molecular level like what's going on from a a physiological sense um but i think it's a matter of you know the leaner you get the closer you are to starvation (laughs) you know it's like i mean it's essentially what it is so your body is going to fight it more and typically what that actually means is is as your body fights it more two things happen number one adherence goes out the window so a lot of times people are less consistent the deeper they get in the diet and they don't realize it because at that point, it's mental grit and self-discipline. You know, when you're hungry and you're craving things, but you know you still have four weeks left on diet and you have five pounds more to lose, it's just fucking hard. Yeah. You just don't want to do it. You're already pretty lean, so your body's con- your mind's constantly going, hey, man, just stop. You're there. Like, why do you keep going? Uh, but when you're at the very beginning of a diet, you're not really, like right now, I'm losing weight every week, so it's motivating. I'm not really hungry because I'm still eating a good amount of food. I feel fine. I have no, like discipline issues right now talk to me in three months (laughs) i might have some discipline issues so i think uh i think it one of the things that goes out the window is is precision and close adherence and people just don't realize it um and that causes you to stall out and just not lose that last bit the other side of it is metabolic adaptation you know when you have just five pounds to lose most likely what's what's happening at this point is you have been dieting for quite a while. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're 12, 16, 20 weeks in and you're like, man, I just have five pounds to lose. I want to get it. I'd be like, hey, let's let's take a diet break for a bit because your body is is metabolically adapting. So you're probably moving less. You're burning less in the gym. You're probably burning less calories through sleep and your intake, your, your maintenance intake has lowered significantly because of this deficit, which means that you have to go to an extreme low to lose that last five. Right. And, and even if that doesn't change, let's say you take a diet break and it doesn't increase your maintenance intake. At least you took a psychological break for a little bit before you went through that phase of just fucking grinding. Yeah. You know, um, I just sent new macros to one of my clients and he was like, <laughs> he literally was like, are those like, basically like, are those real? Is that, is that really what you want to do? And like the question the, like put the macros again after I was like, yep that's it because he has a photo shoot in four weeks and, he, and we were like kind of going up around on dates and he's fucking lean but he was like all right january 2nd so i was like all right man we gotta turn it up now because i want to get you ready before the shoot so i can bring your calories up a little bit into it but this is that grinding phase for him he's gonna be hungry as hell yeah. but you want to get shredded for a photo shoot man yeah this is what you got to do so um but yeah i i think uh I think it ultimately comes down to usually at that point, you have been dieting for quite a while. So adherence is usually subpar. Precision just isn't there as much. You're hormonally and metabolically adapted, which is going to cause your body to burn less calories day to day. And that's going to cause a stall in your weight loss. Um, And yeah, and and it's just a timeline thing. For sure. That's it. It's tough. What's that one thing that you posted on your story yesterday when somebody said, were you like, on meth or something. Oh my God, I was dying. <laughs> she was like, oh, this new block is great, but I had to add, like she asked, but she's like, did you drink 500 milligrams of caffeine before <laughs> writing this? Potentially smoke meth? <laughs> I 
was like, no. Nah, it was a training. Is a training program? Yeah, it was a training oh program. My God. Um, yeah, if it was a diet and they were like, did you smoke meth before you get started? I'd be like, okay, that's an issue. Yeah. <laughs> but a training program, she was just saying like, damn, that was, was hard. A, um, a lot of reps or a lot of sets. It was a, it was a new block. So I think it might've been, um, just, just new exercises, more volume because they've been progressing. So this person went from not doing any strength training whatsoever yeah. to now she's training four days a week, like heavy lifting, Super, super cool transformation. Um, even just the mental side of it, like going from women don't lift weights, you know, like we'll get big and bulky and stuff to being empowered and doing chin ups and deadlifts and all that kind of shit is so cool. But, oh. um, so yeah, so now we're just at that point where I'm really starting to push towards a more advanced protocol and she's starting to feel it. Yeah. But I, I was, tell. yeah, I was cracking <laughs> up when I saw that. All right, cool. Um, uh, we got the next question comes, oh, there's a two part question. It's from, Lee Sandoval. Uh, first question is this. On my lower body dyna- dynamic effort day, I am doing box squat, barbell, stiff leg RDL, and then a hip barbell hip thrust. I just put a 25-pound weight on each side and do all three exercises with the same weight. Not sure if this is a good idea or not. I would say no because you're you're limiting yourself on something. You know, I think typically – Barbell box squats probably going to be able. You're probably going to be able to go a little bit heavier than an RDL, and a hip thrust. You're definitely going to be able to go heavier than an RDL, potentially heavier than a box squat, depending on who you are. Because I know a lot of uh, one of my clients just posted a video on her story of her hip thrusting 300 pounds, and she's like five. If you're listening to this, Liz, and I, and I butcher this, sorry, but like she's like five two. Like she's she's not tall, and I might maybe she's five four, five five, but she's not tall, and yeah. she's she's. 120 pounds like she's you know she's small lean petite 300 pound hip thrust yeah crazy wow um well i I hate hip thrust so much i won't even attempt to put 200 pounds on the bar i hate (laughs) them i fucking hate them yeah i've I've hip thrusted well over 300 pounds in my lifetime but when when i was training with luca we did so much hip thrust i just hate it now like you won't catch me doing it (laughs) um uh but um what was the question? What am I putting all the same weight on the bar? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so so if I, if I think about myself, I can box squat in my order. It would be the heaviest would be a box squat, then would be hip thrust, then would be an RDL. Um, so I think by only putting twenty fives on each side and then going through all of them, you're limiting one of those. So you could potentially squat more, you could potentially deadlift more, you could potentially hip thrust more, but you're not doing it because you just don't feel like changing the weights out. Um, so and usually your your load should be highest at the towards the beginning so you're following the modified conjugate method for for women inside the trainer so i know exactly what program you're doing and the way that's set up is to manage your fatigue so we know that the box squat is going to be your your biggest most demanding and heaviest lift so we're going to do that first then we move to an rdl which is probably going to be second right and then third even if you do go heavier it's way less neurologically fatiguing and it's more of an isolation exercise we do the hip thrust um, whereas RDL is closer to a compound, it's more neurologically fatiguing. The box squat is a compound, it's very neurologically fatiguing. So we categorize it in that way because you need more energy for the box squat and for the RDL than you do totally. the hip thrust, right? Yeah. And and so you should be going heavy as you can. And and if you're following that program, there's an RPE or an RIR scale on every single set of everything you do. So look at that. If it's an RIR two or an RPE eight, 
you're lift as heavy as you possibly can with leaving two in the tank. If you don't know what that feels like, go in there and find your one rep max on a box squat, right? And, and don't leave anything in the tank. Get a spotter and don't leave anything in the tank. So then you can say, okay, actually my max is 300 pounds on the box squat, which means that I should be doing these five rep sets at like 250. Yep. Shit, I've been doing them at 95 in this case, you know, which is probably... A little excessive. Yeah, a little excessive. It's not your your case. But still, point being is is you're limiting yourself. So, yeah, you should be – not all exercises should be using the same weight. Yep. Nice. All right. Um, Second question from her is, on the mixed modal and conditioning days, I like to wear running shoes, but the other days I wear shoes meant for weightlifting. What are the best running shoes and weightlifting shoes for every day in your opinion? Thank you. I love your programming and podcast. So, mixed modal is – Mixed modal is is basically, you saw what I was doing yesterday in the gym, right? Yeah. Sled push, uh, landmine thrusters, kettlebell swing, short break, repeat. That was a mixed modal circuit. So mixed modal is mixed modality. Mm-hmm. I'm doing some sled aerobic-based stuff. Then I'm doing some thrusters, high rep, which is still aerobic, but it's more functional full body. And then I'm doing a swing, which is more high-intensity metabolic. And so it's mixed equipment, mixed exercise, mixed movement patterns in a circuit, um, doing it for a specific purpose. So if you're doing an aerobic mixed modal setting, like I was, my goal is to keep my heart rate the same the whole time. So if I would have gone as hard as I could on the first set, then I would have like 10 minutes in, cause it was a 20 minute long EDT or AMRAP 10 minutes in, I probably would have been gassing out and going way slower. You know, mm-hmm. so to be able to keep your pace means starting at a slow enough pace that, you know, on minute 18, you're still doing that pace. Um, now, an anaerobic mixed modal setting would be it's explosive hard. You're taking more rest in between because you're going super hard for every single set, which I wouldn't put a time limit on those. It's usually like five rounds. Be explosive. Take as long as you need between sets. Um, but that's conditioning. Uh, and then and then the regular aerobic conditioning is just regular aerobic conditioning. Um and with with that being said, I do think there is there's differences in running shoes versus lifting shoes. Um, obviously, if you're doing squats and you want elevated heels, you got to wear Olympic lifting shoes. But otherwise, I, I prefer a flat sole. So New Balance Minimus shoes are great. Um, I think it's called Move is a great brand. Um, I mean, you can use the the, the five finger shoes, which are the Vibrams, where you oh, like yeah. to, feet toes go in little slots which I used to use and they're good and they give you that barefoot feel and they allow you to grip the floor and, it, and it's good for functionality of your ankles, your knees, your hips, like joints and stuff. But they're just weird. Like yeah. I just don't like the feeling of things in between my toes. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Dude, I, and it's, it's so hard to like get, get your used to? pinky in there. Oh yeah. The pinky toe, like everything gets in there and your pinky toe is like curled up uh. and you have to like manually like straight <laughs> into those <laughs> fucking little socks. That's weird. It's so weird, dude. Uh, and then they stink, dude. You oh, were, God. oh my God. Yeah. But, um, you can wear them. <laughs> I almost <laughs> wore some for hiking, but I didn't get any. Oh, your feet would fucking Well, I mean, they, they, dude, they were, they were like hiking. Oh yeah. Vibram makes hiking. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> yeah. The minimalist ones are basically, it's just rubber underneath your feet. So you don't like scrape your feet. Yeah. And so you can do it in public because <laughs> you can't go into a gym barefoot. Yeah. Um, I'm not a fan of them, but they're they're good. But I think flat bottoms are the best. I like New, uh, New Balance Minimus cross trainers. Uh, and then my ultimate – actually, Noble's are really good too. Noble, the training ones. But my ultimate favorite shoe that over – dude, I've tried Noble. I've tried Reebok. I've tried New Balance Minimus. Like, 
Adidas has trained you. I've tried everything. The Nike Metcon 5s are better than anything. Yep. So good that I have five pairs over there in every color. No pun intended. No pun intended. Um, and I'm not sponsored by them, but I wish. I did Nike ID for all of them too, but they're uh, they're honestly just, they're so comfortable. They have a wide toe base. They're flat. You can run in them. I've done, I did my conditioning yesterday in them. Yeah. Um, so I think they're, they're perfect. They're, they're my favorite ones for sure. Um, but if I'm running, I will use running shoes. You know, wearing flat bottom shoes makes you kind of run flat footed. Um, and doing a deadlift, your feet are stationary, right? Running, you're moving. Yeah. So I'm pounding my feet. To me, I need a little bit of padding under my feet totally. versus the flat bottom. I don't care if I'm, you know, deadlifting stuff like that. Yeah. So I personally use uh, Noble for that. I use Noble running shoes, but I'm sure Nike makes some great ones. Honestly, with running shoes, I think it's like less of, of to me, it's, it's less important. Like there's good running shoes and they don't have to be particular. Like yeah. there's a ton. Brooks is a great brand. Um, Nike a- makes good ASIC. ones. ASIC is a good one. Uh, um, Noble makes good ones. Reebok makes good running shoes. They're all great. So just find one that you feel comfortable in and just use those. And But I do switch them out. If I'm running in my, like, so if I'm doing a circuit and there's any type of running in it, I will put my running shoes on. And then for everything else, I just wear my lifting shoes. Same, same as uh, changing your shoes for Olympic lifting. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If I'm doing barbell squats, then I'll throw on my Olympic lifting shoes. All right. Cool. Um, next question uh, comes from Hannah. Says some PTs state that training program memberships don't work because everyone needs an individualized program. Shots fired. Yeah, except you kind of agree with it. Individualized. I know. Not a pro- okay. Everyone needs an individualized program. Not a program written for a lot of people. What are your thoughts? I'm thinking about this, but I don't particularly like the program my trainer does at the gym, and I can't and won't invest in a coach right now. So, a good trainer good online or in-person trainer um, individualizes a program for you. But unless you have a very, very specific case, that individualized program is bound to come from a template. If, if you were, if you're handwriting every single exercise differently for every single program, you can't, you don't have the time to work with more than 10 people. You don't. And then you don't make any money, and then you can't sustain you, yourself. Yeah, because you can't charge enough for ten people where someone's going to pay. Yeah, and it's and it's not. Well, and, I'm assuming, and you don't need to. That's the thing. Is like, so if if they're a good trainer understands the scientific principles, which means that they have done their due diligence of researching, educating, and getting certified, which means that they have a predisposed format in their head of what they've learned from the body of literature and the strengths world and their style of doing it totally so i have a very specific style almost anybody that comes to work with me they're getting that style it comes from a template even if that template's in my head this is the template now i'm looking at how is your mobility how is your stability do you have any injury history what equipment do you have available Um, do you have any imbalances uh, that that would cause me to need to remove bilateral and you do more unilateral Mm -hmm. But the sets, the reps, the exercise sequencing, the frequency, the split, all those things are set up in a template, right? So um, the only time that, that you're like, I'm, I'm going from scratch, complete scratch is when I have somebody who has a serious injury. 
Because at that point, it's like, dude, we're like doing nothing. We're literally just doing mobility and then we're going to slowly add resistance training into it. Um, but otherwise, everything comes from a, from a template because I've, I've learned so much over the years. So I think that the statement to say that membership sites don't work because of that reason is, is flawed because there's a lot of membership sites that have a lot of clients getting a lot of good results, yep. ours included. Yep. So I think that's incorrect. Nutrition, I, I would agree with that statement. I don't think you can do a group nutrition model. Everybody's different. Everybody has different cravings. Everybody needs different intakes. Everybody has different metabolisms. Different and bodies. Different bodies, different hormones, everything. So you can't. But strength principles stay the same. You know, you and I both should progressively overload. You and I both should squat in some form. You and I both should train three to four times a week to get a result. You know, like it doesn't matter. Now, when we get into the nitty gritty, our squat might be different. Right. But if our goal is the same, then when we squat and how much we squat as far as reps and sets, it might be exactly the same. It's just that I have to do a front squat and you can do a back squat. Totally. And maybe it's because I have back issues, yeah. you know. So I think that sometimes if, if you have like I personally I pay for somebody to individualize my training because I enjoy seeing somebody's mind go to work mm. and I'm OK with paying that extra given that I do have some injury history and stuff like that, like let's cater this to me. I like that. Um, and I would invest in that. And we have a lot of clients that do with us. We offer that. But in general, I think that membership sites work great because there's, there's certain things, you know, if I, if I have an upper lower split that has a, uh, like for, let's use the big four, for example, which, which is an upper lower split program for strength and hypertrophy in the, in the membership site, which is a really, really good program. Um, it's, Four days a week, it's upper lower split, it's balanced across all muscle groups, uh, it's it's all the periodization, all the progressive overload, all the movement pattern, all the check boxes are checked off. Um, and then most of the sets say three to four sets, which means that depending on the person's experience level, they can choose three or four sets because if you have more experience, you might need more volume, Yeah. right? Then to individualize that more is when somebody goes, hey, I can't back squat because I get pain. What should I do? And I'm in the membership site telling them, change the back squat on that program to this. Change the RDL to a staggered RDL. Like Simple cha changes. That's individualizing it. But we do that within the membership site. Yep. You know, so I think that, um, and for people who don't have any injuries, fucking do the big four. Dude, I've had, I've, I've had literally clients, new clients on the phone that say they want to do training and nutrition. And I tell them, hey, you're going to save a hell of a lot of money just doing the training membership site. And I'm not going to try to sell you on the other because I don't think you need it. Mm -hmm. You don't have any injuries. You have, there's nothing wrong with you. You just want to train hard. These programs are fucking great. And they use all my methods. Jump in there. Now, if somebody has issues or they're like, no, like I want you eyeballs on it, progressing me a certain way, looking at every, you know, when I'm uploading notes into my program, okay, do the custom training, you know, because mm -hmm. there is value in the individual attention. But for somebody like yourself who can't afford to do a co coaching thing right now and you you want good programming and you don't need to make a bunch of manipulations i think membership sites are fucking perfect because it gives you a science-based program that you can follow for sure so i would disagree with that statement yeah otherwise all right uh looks like we got one more here from cody land what is the best certification slash place to learn from <sighs> it's a lot pre-march 2020 Pre-March 2020, what do you mean? This is the huge thing in the world called COVID. Oh. <laughs> it says best place to learn from. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking physical place. But oh, yeah, yeah, no. Um, learn what? 
I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, his he, he turned in the form. His email was Cody Land Fitness, so I'm assuming he's talking about like fitness and nutrition. Um, it's hard to say. I think that the way I typically tell people they should go is you should start with the the less time consuming fundamentals you need. So go get your NASM CPT, your certified personal trainer. You might be able to finish it in a week. It's not the most advanced thing. It's not going to make you the best trainer ever, but it's going to allow you to legally train people. <laughs> there right? you go. And then That's you should start. go do something on the nutrition front. You can do that through NASM too. Um, NCI is a great one that doesn't take a ton of time. You got to spend three months, I think, doing the case study work. But anything else, I think you got to like precision nutrition level one. I have no idea how long that one is. Precision nutrition level two is a full year. MNU is a, an amazing program. Theirs is a full year, um, both of which I've done. Uh, there's another one that's on the rise that started in Australia. Now they're coming over here. I was actually just talking to one of the reps because we're potentially thinking about doing something with them. Um, and I want to say it's Sports Nutritionist Association. Mm. And uh, it's like 16 weeks, I think, but it's self-paced. And uh, it's 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 much more deep dive into the like the real nitty gritty of science, like college level nutritionist degree, which is really cool. Um, and it allows you to become an insured nu- sports nutritionist, which to me, like I I don't know, I haven't looked at the curriculum, I don't know a lot about it, but based on that and based on their advisory board, which I believe had Eric Helms, Eric Trexler, Lauren Conlin, Doctor Gabrielle Fandaro, Jackson Pios, a bunch of people I've had on the podcast, yeah. Uh, really really impressive lineup of like people on their advisory board which tells me that if all these people are repping this company and say it's a good company yeah it's probably a good cert to get For sure um so i think they might be one of the new certs that's going to kind of come into the field and not necessarily take over but yeah be somebody to recognize present. Yep. um for training, I think the best thing to do is is go get your your certification. Just go get certified as a trainer, and then start doing specialty courses. So, like I've done, I, I got my CPT years ago. It's like let me just be a certified trainer. Then I went and did uh, NASM PES, which is Performance Enhancement Specialist. So it's much more on the sports side of things. Um, for that NASM cert, so it's like taking your CPT to the next level. Then I uh, went and did. John Russins, which is like the pain-free performance specialist, which I'm actually going to redo because they had a Black Friday sale. And he's updated the material. I did it four or five years ago. So I'm going to redo that. I haven't done, but I would like to do Joe DeFranco's um, prescript or Jordan Shallow. I haven't taken the test yet, but I did that. Like Those are the ones that are... A lot more in-depth. A lot more in-depth. Not as well-known as NASM Mm -hmm. or ISSA, but... They're also much more deep dives into things that's going to help you coach. Yeah, well, a lot less people that are wanting to get that into it. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of huge popularity probably doesn't NASM as starting out and stuff. But once you start digging, you know, deep into it, and you go look for these other ones. You know, and a lot of the people, like you think about the people that make the NASM textbook, it's like, how many people do you train? Yeah. Or did you go to school for, like, you know, uh, kinesiology and you just wrote a textbook about it? Yeah, so yeah. it's like that's why like I like things like Joe DeFranco's for example Joe DeFranco and uh, um, uh, James Smitty Smitty they always call him Smitty Diesel but I don't know I'm thinking I think his name is James Smith Smitty or something like that but they have a really good cert where it's real people who have worked with thousands of real people and it's 
taking some science and some strength principles that can't really be proven by science, but you see it in the trenches and implementing it into program design and connection with clients. Like that's hands-on and, and practical. I think that stuff's way better. For sure. So I always recommend people go get your basic certifications and then go do specialty courses. Find ones that are legally certifying you and relatively quick to get done and are beneficial and then move on to some like more in-depth, longer duration specialty courses that make you the best coach you can be. Dope. All right, cool. That is the last one we got today. Um, yeah. It's a wrap. Just uh, keep your eyes open for the charity shirt uh, announcements, but we'll keep you updated. Yep. And as always, if you have a question, drop us a question in the Ask Boom Boom forum, which you can find in the description of this podcast. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, Head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the nutrition hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.